The problem with series has been something that I've done. It's intentionally provocative. Can I just go on record as saying, I'm trying to provoke you. So if you're saying, oh, I don't know about that, that's good. Because it's making you really think about what I'm saying. uh, And I hope that it bears fruit in our lives because of that. And I've been looking at things that become stumbling blocks, not only to our understanding of God and our ability to approach God, approach God, but often those around us, even without faith, if, if we, um, you know, we can unintentionally embrace things that make it difficult for people to embrace God. Cool. So this series is a little bit like that. And if you guys don't get more excited about this, um, your roast is going to burn by the time we get out of here. If you put one in the oven before you came. Okay. So he's going to encourage me. Who's going to encourage me? Thank you. When I was uh, in primary school, a secondary school boy threatened to stick my head in the toilet and flush me at the bus stop after school. And I don't... It's not cool. (laughs) Not cool at all. And, you know, as a primary age kid, like even a kid one year older than you is terrifying. This kid was secondary. I was primary. But you can imagine, and I'm not the only one, I'm sure many have, you know, suffered that kind of ill treatment, but you can imagine my supreme satisfaction with being able to tell that boy that my brother was Shane Mulhair and he happens to be a couple of grades above you. And to see the fear in that kid's eyes, he never ever flushed me, by the way, that never happened. Thank you to my brother Shane. And when you think about it, I think we all want that. What do I mean by that? I mean a superhero on tap. A hero in your world that when the chips are down and you're in a difficult spot, you can call on and they will write the wrongs. We all want that. This is, this is why I think revenge movies have become so popular in our society. Because, I mean, even as Christians, the fact is when the bad guys get it good, <laughs> I'll repent later. Sorry, Jesus, I shouldn't think that way. But that is what we love to think that someone could right the wrongs. And I think this is the popularity of the Avengers you know what I mean? That, those kind of things. The superhero movies, we'd love to think that there was someone that could fix it. But this can become problematic for us as believers, as faith people, when we frame God, which we're tempted to do, in that framework of the ultimate avenger who is there to right my perceived wrongs. And so I want to talk to us today about the problem with with thinking God is on our side. The problem with thinking God is on our side. I told you I'd be provocative. Because every one of us, if you've been in church a little while, it's like, yeah, God's on my side. That's drummed into us. But there, there are problems. Now, I know what we're trying to say. What we're trying to say is God's for me. He's not against me. And I affirm that. And we should affirm that. God is for you. He wants you to do well. That's the other thing. It's, it's like, well, I just believe that, that God wants to see me rise into the abundant life that Jesus gave himself for. God wants to, you know, see me overcome on that level. And I affirm that. Absolutely. And we should affirm that. 
Uh, I think that what we're trying to say is that God's power and strength and grace is there for me to embrace, to receive, to, to be empowered, to become all that I've been created to be and to do. God is on my side. I think that's what we're trying to say. And I affirm that and we should affirm that. Uh, but if we're not careful, when we, when we just grab a pithy saying and throw it out there, if we're not careful, it can develop unhealthy thoughts as well at the same time. And I think it doesn't hurt sometimes just stop and look in the rear vision mirror at what could be creeping up on us. I, I, I can think of a few problematic things and images about God that appear or we're tempted to embrace when we say God is on my side. When we say God is on my side, unwittingly we can be saying God's on my side, you're stuffed. Because <laughs> if God's with me, he might not be with you. See, if we say God is on my side, we actually by inference, is saying he's not on someone else's. He's not on some. So there's certain people whose side he's on, but there's certain people that maybe he isn't, which then leads us to being tempted to rationalise or justify our own actions, even at the expense of others. And sadly, human history plays this out. Uh, we see it, you know, in that great conflict the Great War. It was called the Great War in its time. Now we know it as the First World War. 40 million people dead on all sides, including civilians, estimated. And the ironic thing is that in the trenches of World War I, you have Lutherans and Catholics and Anglicans and Calathumpians in the trenches celebrating what we celebrated this morning, communion, praying that God would protect and God would give them victory before they went into battle and not only destroyed people made in the image of God, but destroyed people who even did believe a lot of the same things that they believed. And it's like, wow, that's, that, that is a, an image that is very, very difficult to assimilate. And we can see it more recently in, uh, in recent history, recent war. So wars like the Gulf War, where if you go on YouTube, it won't take you long to find coalition troops kneeling before battle, praying to Jesus that he would protect them and that they would have victory. And the problem with that is, is it's a very hard image to reconcile with who we understand God as in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. It's hard to reconcile those images. And then the next problem becomes when those troops do go into battle and, and they get down the road a bit further and encounter a roadside explosive device and tragically several of their friends are killed, the question then arises, if God's on my side, why did that happen? So there can be a problem with thinking God is on my side. Another problem could be if God's on my side, you're wrong. Because we tend to own that term a little bit exclusively. And all of a sudden that translates to, if you don't think the way that I think, if you don't believe the way that I believe, even if you don't look the way I look, talk the way I talk, 
then God's on my side, but he might not necessarily be on your side. And we see this outworked right through human history, tragically, slavery. New Testament scripture has been used to justify things like human slavery. Is slavery in the Bible? Yes, but it's diminishing from beginning to end because it's a progressive revelation. As a matter of fact, the early slavery laws in Israel were the first kind things ever said. It was the first time limits were put on punishing slaves in human history, you find in the Old Testament. So there's this propensity to use a frame of reference where God is on my side, therefore I can either do what I want or believe what I want. I'm justified, you're not. Happens exactly the same with racism. God's with me, but he might not be with you because you look different, you talk different, you come from a different culture, so I'm wary of you. Even with the genders, we see that divide. With patriarchal societies, structures and and systems within a society that tend to hold women down where they can be either oppressed or even flat out exploited by men those patriarchal systems and you don't have to look deep into our even current society to see examples of that and again if we think God's on our side we can convince ourselves that that's justified but Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 Paul uh, writes to the church and he says this and it's a phenomenal passage of scripture that addresses just those three very things he says to the church it does not matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Again, he's just hitting the ethnic thing. It doesn't matter whether you're Israeli or one of the rest of the world. It does not matter whether you're a slave or a free person. He's addressing social structure. It does not matter whether you're a man or a woman. He's addressing gender and he says you all belong together because you all belong to Christ Jesus. That's the mindset. That's how God sees. God does not see, I'm with you, but I'm not with them. God is for humanity. God is for people created in his image. And we need to be careful when we say God is on my side because we can be saying things we don't mean to say. And sometimes that is frankly what an unbelieving world finds unbelievable when it comes to the church. Another issue is when you say God is on my side, you can actually unwittingly say you're out. Because it creates this sense of I'm in, you're out. In other words, there are insiders who think and believe like me and there are outsiders. Now I understand we have a covenant relationship with God, etc, etc, but It's ironic that we would create insiders and outsiders when the whole reason Jesus came was to bring everyone to the inside. It might be okay for God to work out who's in or out, but when human beings do it, it always ends badly. You notice that? Our judgment just isn't the best. Who's glad that God's thoughts are not our thoughts? (laughs) Because we don't have a great track, track record with discerning this stuff. Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, 
who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. And what Paul's referring to here and speaking into, the church in Ephesus was a a Gentile church, in other words, a non-Jewish background church. And he's actually explaining to these new converts, listen, even though the Messiah who you're following, even though he has complex Jewish roots, complex ethnic roots, him coming was actually to break that down. So there's no longer insiders and outsiders. We can be one in Christ. Jesus came for people, in other words. But when we say God's on my side, <laughs> unwittingly, we, we, we can bring it back down to um, he's on my side and he's on people like me or he's on my side and people who think like me, people who believe like me, people who, no, no, God is on humanity's side. And, and so you've got to ask the question, how do we get there? You know, as the people of God, how can we somehow allow a paradigm to develop where we unwittingly, we don't do this intentionally, but we unwittingly exclude people or we label people. And I think it simply comes down to the image of God that we hold. Sometimes we hold an archaic image of God. The fact is there are many images of God, many portrayals of who God is and what he's like right throughout the whole arc of scripture. But often we hold on to Partial images, unclear images, older images, when the whole reason Jesus came was to reveal God to us, not as a new God, but as who God always was. As I've said again and again, and maybe you're picking up a theme the last couple of months, you will never see God clearer than how you will see him in the face of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came, to reveal the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And yet we can hold older images, just as an example. Jehovah Nissi, one of the Hebrew names for God. He was called that after a battle. The people saw that God was like a banner over them. The Lord, my banner. He's like a banner over us as we go into battle and gives us victory over our enemies. And that was the perception of the writer at the time. If we don't look at that image through the eyes of Jesus... It becomes an ugly thing. It becomes a God is on my side, so therefore he's not on your side thing. If we look at it through the image of Christ, how does that translate in the New Testament? It translates into our identity is in Christ. Our lives are hidden in God, in Christ, and now I'm becoming like I was always meant to be. But if we hold those old images, we end up with ugly, partial pictures. Now you'll say, oh, but the Bible is inspired. Absolutely it is. But the Bible inspired, it doesn't mean it dropped out of heaven, signed by God. People were in a particular point in history with a particular paradigm and a particular world experience and worldview who saw God, saw flashes as God showed up and they recorded those. And often they thought this is all there is to do with God. We've seen him. He showed up. He did something amazing and they record that image and it's inspired. But it's partial. And right through the arc of Scripture, we see revelation, revelation, revelation of God. 
And interestingly, the further we go, the kinder God seems to be getting until we end up in the New Testament with Jesus Christ coming, saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Not a different God. This is who God always was, but you never had an accurate picture. And if we don't see every other image of God in Scripture through the lens of Christ, we end up with an ugly image. And our world does it all the time. The church can't afford to. If we want to be a witness in our world, we have to understand this. So holding older images is kind of maybe like um, keeping a photograph, maybe a younger photograph of someone you love because you don't like the way they look now. No one here would do that. Happened to me by the time I was in my 20s. And this is before I met Jesus. It it was this uncanny thing that any girl I got interested in seemed to want my grade 10 picture, which I kept on a key ring with, but just held my keys together. My grade 10 picture from school. It might have been a five-year-old image, but that seemed to be the one they want. Let's have a look at me in all my glory. How beautiful is that? See that little button nose? See those little little freckles? I couldn't work out. Why did they want this old picture of me? And then I worked out. That's before my nose grew and my hair fell out. <laughs> hey, it is what it is. It is what it is. But just imagine how weird it would be if when Sue met people and they asked about her family, if out of her wallet she produced that photo and said, this is my husband, Chris, whom I've been married to for almost 30 years. It's like, it just doesn't fit the picture. Is it an image of me? Yes. Is it the most accurate, up-to-date and clearest image of me? No. And yet we're tempted to do that with God all the time. Our unbelieving world is very happy to cherry-pick images And then try and not let us. Or sometimes we we just try and defend that image. That image doesn't need any defense. All it needs is clarification. Oh, yeah, yep, yep. That point in human history, that's sort of where we thought God was at because that's pretty well where we were at. And it was a clearer picture than we'd ever had before. But then there was another one. Then there was another one. Then there was another one. And then eventually Jesus came and revealed God to us face to face. And now we really know very clearly who God is and what God is like. So we need to be very careful when we say God is on my side that we we don't make God exclusive. Exclusively ours. Exclusive for people who look the way we do. Exclusive for our gender or exclusive for our particular even persuasion of church. We need to be very careful that we don't create insiders and outsiders that Jesus doesn't do. He came to break those social divides down so that we could be one. So here's some questions we can ask us in applying the message. First question is, is the way I see God filtered through the person of Jesus Christ? So whenever I think about God, am I... If I, if I see a confusing image somewhere in the scripture, am I filtering that through the lens of Jesus? Or am I carrying old photographs around in my wallet? Is there anywhere I justify my actions by believing God is on my side? Because that's what we're tempted to do. 
use a lack of discretion or lack of integrity or maybe try and gain what we want at someone else's expense and feel justified because, hey, God's on my side. I told you this would be challenging, didn't I? told you I was trying to provoke you. You're doing okay? Really, before I ask this last question, are you doing okay? Am I ever tempted to consider myself superior to others because of my relationship with God? Maybe I could put it this way. Do I unwittingly condescend toward other people because of that relationship? Do I only see other people as sinners and needy and broken or do I see myself in the human condition because I I think this is what an accurate revelation an accurate picture of God does in Christ we see ourselves in Jesus and we see ourselves in process but we never lose sight of the fact of where we've come from and who we might be aside from him And therefore, we can relate to anyone, no matter how messy their life is, because we realise, hey, the only difference between me and you is Jesus. I'm not superior anyway. I'm I'm not certainly shielded from the pain, the brokenness of the human condition. I'm on a journey just like you. And it keeps our hearts open to those who don't think the way we do, who don't believe the way that we do who don't look the way that we do, who don't act the way that we do, whose culture is different. Christ breaks down all of those things to what we're left with is a common humanity on a journey to being ultimately, Ephesians chapter 1, put back together by Christ. Remember to come together? That's where we started the year. God's the good pleasure of His will is that He would bring all things back together in Christ. So I hope you're okay. I hope that makes you think. Could we stand together this morning? And I I just really love to pray for you. Um, Pray for us. Father, in your presence, help us to see you clearly. Lord, you went to, to great expense to reveal yourself to us so clearly in the face of Jesus Christ. To bring clarity to every other image and perception that people have ever had about who God is and how God is. Help us, Father. Help us to see you so clearly in the face of your Son, Jesus. As Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Help us to see you clearly, Lord. Just while we're in the presence of God, just in these last moments, you know, if you're here, And maybe knowing God, walking with God, maybe that hasn't been your experience. Church hasn't been your experience. And that's cool. You're so welcome to be here. But I want to give you the opportunity. You know, maybe you've even struggled with embracing Jesus or embracing church, embracing God because of either the behavior of Christians or or what you've perceived the church to be or how you've perceived it to be. And I just hope today that how I've spoken about the true image of God. I I hope that's helped you on your journey. I hope it's broken down some walls of division that may have been there or that you may have even just perceived to be there. 
And I want to give you an opportunity, like so many others in this place have, just to join your heart to your Creator God, to God the Father. And in these closing moments, you know, if you'd say to me, Chris, I think I'm ready to take a step and just open my heart, let Jesus into my life, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, that I've really opened my heart to God, but I want to do it today. I just want to give you this opportunity just right now. Just right now. You could say simple words just just in your own heart. You know, God, show yourself to me. Help me to know you. Jesus, come into my life. Forgive the past. Help me with the future. Help me do it different in the future. Help me live for you. You know, if you, you open your heart and you cry out in that way, God's going to meet you right where you, right where you stand this morning. If you're genuine about that. And then we want to help you on that journey. So, Father, for every heart that's just open to you, I pray that we pray together as a community of faith, we pray that you'd visit them, that you'd make yourself so wonderfully real to them as you have us, that they'd see you so clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Sue.